Agro, Slendy, Agro, Slendy, Ayy, you already know what's up, what's that another home run, but you know the job ain't done, till we hold that trophy up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 538 of the Talking Fires podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden here. It is December 14th, 2023, and the guy that I have joining me today is a really smart guy, according to Tim Hill, and that is John O'Green, symbiotic uh, co-founder with Joe Musgrove. He's Joe Musgrove's trainer. John, thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's first get started on how this relationship started with Joe. Just take us like who connected you guys, how that started um, and how great it's been to be able to work with Joe. Yeah. So I used to live and work up in Orange County. Um, I guess it was probably like, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago now. And uh, I used to hear about this guy down here who did pitching lessons. You would have kids that would drive down from Orange County uh, for their pitching lessons in some guy's backyard. They would do like some martial arts and some mental training. And I just, I never knew who he was. And so I moved down to San Diego and a professional pitcher who I knew said, hey, you got to meet this guy, Dominic Johnson. And that is Joe's godfather uh, slash pitching coach, you know, slash mentor. But yeah, it's his godfather. So I met Dom. Uh, we had several conversations in, about me, you know, hopefully training some of his clients. And he sent me that first year, a group of like young minor league guys. And Joe was one of those minor league guys. And that was the 2014 off season. So this is our ninth off season training together. Uh, he was obviously in the minor leagues with the Astros at the time. And so, I mean, I always enjoyed, you know, the off season training pro guys, but him and I just always got along really well. We've always seen eye to eye. Uh, so we started spending more and more time together. And over the years, we talked about potentially doing something together. Um, but obviously that relied on finances and so once he got back to san diego i was like okay this seems like this could work and then he threw a no hitter and got a contract and was like, okay this really seems like it could work so here we are yeah that's awesome now i want an update first here on joe musgrove's health i'm sure padres fans were like ben ask about his health how is joe doing um everything's going well there yeah everything's going really really well uh, everything's on schedule with his throwing workouts, we have, you know, no restrictions. Um, obviously, the shoulder had become an issue. Where that came from, you know, you never really will know. Um, my suspicion was that that rehab start he had when he was rehabbing from the toe, mm -hmm. um, he had made an awkward throw across his body and then fell on his shoulder. My suspicion is the damage came from them, but, you know, you really don't know. Um, and so with the way that the season kind of panned out with the Padres, it was stuck between, all right, should they try to rush him to get ready or should they really just let him heal? So it was always on the fence of that. So once it was clear they weren't going to be in the off offseason, um, that was when his like, rest really began. But luckily now with ramping up, everything's been really good. He's had imaging on the shoulder. Uh, yeah, everything's going well. Awesome. Healthy. So when you guys first – got together i was reading from dennis lynn in the athletic you did you think baseball was boring when you first realized like when you first got into it oh 100 yeah i thought it was like watching paint dry um <laughs> i actually i play i so grew up in england right never played baseball um and then i actually was a basketball player myself 
I just played some junior college basketball. That was how I ended up coming over here. And then long story short, I worked for a company and they made a lot more money training baseball and softball players than they did training basketball and volleyball players. And that was more my specialty. And so it really was, I needed them to sponsor me for a visa and I needed to be more useful for them. So I was like, all right, let me try and get into baseball. And just as an outsider watching it, you know, I didn't, I just didn't, wasn't following the intricacies of it at all. And I think it actually helped a lot training pitchers because then the first thing I learned to appreciate was, you know, strikeouts, you know, as opposed to looking for home runs or looking for offense. The most exciting thing for me was seeing my athletes put up zeros. And so I really, really got into it to the point where now it's pretty much other than surfing is the only sport I watch. Mm hmm. Maybe we should give Joe Musker a bat because Shohei Otani just got a ton of money. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah. And I think you'd be pretty happy. I mean, you're happy now. What was – I should probably ask that. Like, when Joe got that contract, $100 million extension with the Padres, I know his family obviously was super excited. And I love Diane um, and that whole Musgrove family. Yep. How are you feeling, you know, seeing that kind of all come together? Like, man, someone that I have helped mm – -hmm. A hero in San Diego, obviously, after the no-hitter, and now he is set up for life like this. It's kind of, I guess, a little unusual, right? I guess, no, you know, normal people like like you and I, I mean, even a million is just a, a huge amount of money. But on a business side, there's what is somebody's value, you know? And the, the sport dictates that, you know, what is another pitcher doing and what did he get paid? So that, you know, puts a price tag on it. And then being around Joe and his family for all of these years, seeing the sacrifices that he's made. And obviously, he's not the only one, right? If you choose to go out of high school, you're forfeiting a college education. And so there goes that. You're not going to fall back on you know that degree because you don't have it. Um, and so you really put all your eggs in that one basket. You don't make much money at all. you know. And you hear about a signing bonus, but with everyone knows the situation with Joe's family and his father. And so your money doesn't go very far when you have to help your family out during, you know, tough times. And so, yeah, for me to, to say that I would be upset if he didn't make, you know, let's say a hundred million or more, it sounds crazy because a hundred million is just a, an absurd amount of money, but it really was seeing what he put into it, you know, seeing what he was worth. That's more what it felt like to me was him getting the recognition of what he's worth, what he's sacrificed, and what, to me, seemed fair. And so by the time it happened, it wasn't so much like, oh, my gosh, that's a ton of money. It's like, yeah, good. He should get, you know, he should get that. Um, he's worth it. And, you know, and obviously he's a great person. And so knowing that he's not going to spend it, you know, on crazy stuff, it's like, all right, good. This is going to go to use for him, his family, and many generations to come. So, yeah, it's weird to hear, like, to have a friend that makes that much money, but he doesn't act like it, and so I just don't think mm -hmm. about it all that often. It's more just somebody getting recognition in their workplace for what they're good at. Yeah, and when that news came down, like, I'm not someone that knows Joe personally, but, like, I can tell, like, he is not someone that, yeah, would go spend, it, you know, everything all at once. Like, he seems, yeah. like, genuinely an amazing uh, human being, amazing friend. Could you give fans a sense of how much work Joe puts in in the offseason, during season, to be healthy, ready to go at you know mm -hmm. full strength or as full strength as he can 
you know, when yeah. it's August, September, dog days of summer, postseason, how much work goes into that um, in the offseason and during the season that fans don't see? So, I mean, let's say, for example, before the season was over, um, I mean, he he kept up with his, his workouts. He always does, right? So before the season was over, sat down with some of the Padres staff and Joe for breakfast to map out what his off-season looks like. And his off-season was able to begin early, lifting-wise. Uh, once we knew he wasn't going to be throwing, it's all right. Lifting-wise um, and conditioning-wise, his off-season starts now. And so for him and I, that was working out four days a week, you know, immediately. Um, and a workout usually consists of about two hours. Um, obviously, it varies on what the situation is. But since he was, other than his shoulder, you know, head to toe, he was pretty healthy. He felt strong. So we can get into stuff right away. There wasn't a, an awful lot of corrections to do. Um, and then very quickly, it develops to five days a week of us working out. So we lift four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, beach workouts on Wednesdays. Uh, he sees one of our PTs or a PT at Petco most of those days just to get work done. And then obviously he's got his throwing. So all in all, in a morning, he's probably in the four to five plus hour range of, you know, I guess working out, working on being ready. Um, and then outside of that is, you know, the video analysis and everything along those lines. So it's a tremendous amount of work the good the great thing for us as a company is everybody else just gets on that same schedule everyone's just like okay this is what we do um and so we have a lot of guys on that that similar schedule and then in season he goes off to spring training does his thing once he gets in season and gets into a routine that's when i usually start writing his programs again Um, so depending on the rotation you know five six man it's where he has his start in an ideal world the next day would be kind of like a flush day, as he calls it. So he likes to run, whether that's on the field, bleachers, uh, but get his heart rate up, get his cardio in, get his blood flowing, um, does an awful lot on the recovery side. And then the following day, so two days after the start, that's like the big leg day. The day after that is an upper body day. The day after that, we do like stretching, mobility flows, and then um, potentially some like explosive stuff. The next day is a rest, and then he's right back to his next start, and that's every single week without fail. No matter where he is, you know, if he's on the road, then we look at what the opposing weight room is like. You know, what what do they have for equipment? And then, yeah, it's it's all the time. Um, he takes the odd week off, you know, here and there. Last year he went out to Antarctica. Uh, this year he just went on a road trip with Erica, his girlfriend. So you know, it's the odd week here and there. But other than that, it's you know, it's probably forty-eight weeks out of the year he's on a schedule like that. And then there's like the cold tub work as well. I know he's oh, pretty yeah. big on that. Yeah. yeah, we have cold tubs here. He has one at home. He's got a sauna at home. Um, yeah, so he's doing all of that outside of that as well. He has a gym at the house. And so, you know, on a Saturday, he'll usually be doing his cardio. Jay, the strength coach for the Padres, he's really good with writing conditioning programs. So he has Joe doing extra conditioning work for his aerobic base on top of what we're doing as well. Wednesdays we go, we have a surf and then we work out for about an hour and a half and then we play ultimate Frisbee. So yeah, Wednesdays are a busy day too. That's awesome. And then how important is the diet? I've, you know, talking with Manny's trainer uh, mm-hmm. the past couple off seasons, obviously that is big. Yep. How, how important is that for Joe? I know because that's obviously different positions, but yeah, obviously for everyone, it's going to be important. 
Yeah, it really varies on the person. We're actually, we're very fortunate. We have a company here that rents space from us uh, here at the gym and they have a dietitian. They do um, like blood testing, saliva testing. And so they can test your markers, see how well you're doing in certain areas, what you have food sensitivities to, what you're lacking, supplementation. But you see from those results, like some people can eat a reasonably poor diet and their blood work comes back and it's like, oh, somehow, some way they're doing all right. Joe's always taken his diet as seriously as his budget would allow, right? So when he's younger in the minor leagues, that was tough. Um, but he's always reinvested his money back in himself. And I think coming from, you know, like the Mexican Italian family and all of the rich food, I think for him, it was a big adjustment, but he knew that if he wanted longevity, then he needed to kind of, you know, take that very seriously. And just, he honestly takes everything very seriously. And so he currently has somebody who does some meal prep, uh, cooks his, um, most of his meals for him. And he's always, you know, he comes in, slaps in the fridge. So as soon as he's done with his workout, he's ready to go. What do some of those meals look like? Uh, today, there was definitely rice, vegetables, and I think it was either chicken or beef. And okay. they, they look delicious. That's what they look. But <laughs> yeah, it's usually like a rice or potato, vegetable, and then some kind of a meat with like a little bit of sauce. Um, that's at least the ones that, that I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I was just curious because of him – because Manny's trainer obviously had some stuff as well. So, yeah, it's pretty similar um, with different types of players. Now, Joe doesn't take much time off, you know, from season to off-season training. How mm -hmm. beneficial is that? Because I, I know that there's some guys that prefer maybe it's a player-by-player -player basis. Yeah. But for Joe, it seems like he really loves working out and not taking much time off. I think the fact that he stays consistent, that gives you, you know, much more leeway. It's very common in lifting to do deload weeks, and we've just never really done them. But it's because we don't, because we're so consistent, we don't do so much like, oh, build up to this, you know, heavy peak and then need some time off. And so, you know, bits of deload kind of sprinkle in there. But the fact that he stays consistent means that he never usually feels like, oh, man, I really need some time uh, to recover. When you're in the minor leagues, I'm always surprised when, you know, a minor league guy comes back, comes back and says, I'm going to take a month off. And they don't feel bad about it because the major leagues are still playing. They say, well, how are you going to catch those guys? Like you have, you know, that you have that one month to try and catch them. And while they're playing and getting better, that's when you're resting and you'll start working out when they start working out. So I said, well, you know, when are you going to make that gap up? And so even as a minor league guy, him and, and our other young guys, I've always preached that. It's like, okay, you could be, there's a lot of things we can be doing other than just lifting heavy weights. And most of our time is spent doing, you know, those other things. And so we can always, always be working on something. You know, you get kids coming in with broken arms or, you know, uh, a broken foot. It's like you can always work around things. And so from a young age, he's always been on that schedule of if you stay consistent, you really don't need to take that much time off. And then he's just a very active individual. And so I don't I mean, he's never just sat around, you know, not doing much. And um, so if we're not, say, working out, we had a day off from working out, we all went hiking together. You know, it's always doing something. He's just like an active kind of guy. So for young athletes that are growing, they're seeing a lot of stress. I think time off is very, very important, especially if they only play one sport. 
if that sport's baseball, you know, it's very, very stressful. Um, but with these pro guys and they have a lot of resources at their fingertips, you know, you can manage a year round schedule. And obviously he's throwing like tapers way, way off um, to the point where, you know, he does take a little bit of time off. And then honestly, if he would tell you I'm not throwing, I'd be like, you just threw. So that was light catch, you know, it's like, okay. So he's mm-hmm. always playing some light catch, but that's just like a feel thing. I think for him and a lot of guys is they don't consider it much of a workload, but they want to consistently be working on, you know, something and usually it's a feel thing for them. Yeah. I was reading in the athletic from, again, from Dennis Lynn about from that piece earlier this year. And he was at uh, the Beaverton, Oregon facility and found flat ground time to throw because yeah, he had, he had to get, a, he had to get a bullpen in. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, we were up there meeting with the Nike team and they said, oh, if you want to get a workout in the LeBron Center, he goes, yeah, that'd be great. And I need to throw. Like, oh, crap. Uh, we haven't had anyone ask to throw while they're here. And he goes, what's the throwing day? So they had a catcher. I think it was an ex-college catcher come in. Uh, I forget if it was like an Oregon, Oregon State guy, but he came in and caught a flat ground um, so that he could still get his work in. Yeah. That's awesome. What are some other, what are those other things you mentioned other than lifting those weights what are those other things that you guys are working on so we i have everyone do speed agility work uh, even if they're you know a po um so my there's two main things one i think the more athletic they can be the better off they're going to be in general and so you know say if you're watching tv and joe's like i don't know covering the third baseline and throwing across his body and talking about him being a good athlete i mean to me it's like well yeah like those situations are always going to come up and so you might have a picture where you go, he's just not going to go make that play. But for me, it's like, well, we're going to work on it, you know. Um, so we do an awful lot of speed agility, uh, plyometric stuff. And then we do something, that it's called kin stretch. But it's basically like a mobility flow of doing end range activation. So it's kind of like getting into deep mobility exercises and doing isometric holds there. We do that um, five days a week. And then looking at their kinematic sequencing. So whether you do that through watching them actually throw video of throwing or video of them doing rotational chops or doing uh, medicine ball throws and then break down the sequencing of that. And so just, you know, looking at what are they doing? Where are they lacking? And so is that a mobility issue? Is that a motor control issue? What is stopping them from rotating the way we want them? Or is it just, they don't have a good feel for that. So what are exercises that we can do that will help them sequence better. And you can do all of those things, you know, without really picking up anything heavy at all. And right now we're in a power phase. So we track the velocity of the bar. So we're using lighter weights. And then I tell them how many meters per second I want the bar to be moving to keep them in a certain range. So the load that they use is dictated by how fast the bar has to move. And so we hook up, you know, velocity trackers, set it up to the iPad. So right now that's the phase that they're in is like, Hey, you know, you, you have to move fast with intent and that will dictate how much you're going to use. And so for most people that weight's going to come down. The next question I had for you was about Joe Musgrove's, the, the way that he trains and cause some videos that are out there, there's some Padres fans when they see those videos, I think, oh, you know where I'm going at. They freak <laughs> out. Yeah. Put some shoes on, Joe. What the heck? <laughs> so can you explain why Joe does not train sometimes uh, in shoes? Yeah. So I actually, years ago, before I ever met Joe, I started having some knee issues. My arches were collapsing. And um, 
I started training barefoot and I started wearing like what's considered like a barefoot shoe, like a, a minimalist shoe that got me more interested in actually training the foot and my knee shoes went away. And so I've personally been a fan of being for most people, it, it can be okay. Right. If you, for some people they have foot issues, but it's like, okay. You know, I think being barefoot is a good thing for most humans, myself. Um, and then when I met Joe, I just noticed that he liked to be barefoot quite a bit outside of working out, you know, if you're just walking around chilling, um, but working out, we were always in shoes all the time. And then I think it's, you know, reasonably well documented. He has um, a, a nerve issue in his right foot. I think it's called a neuroma. It's what Mike Trout had and Trout ended up, I believe, having surgery on it. And so there's a nerve that is like impinged. Uh, hopefully I'm not getting this wrong, but there's like a nerve impinged in his foot. And so it caused, causes pain, causes numbness. If you let it go, it actually causes like, you know, discoloration um, because like there's not as much blood flow getting down to the area. And so basically his right foot is just squished inside of a shoe. And when we're moving around, he was having pain with it. So anything laterally, change of direction, um, it became this issue of trying to get our training in and not aggravate the foot. And especially when he's on the mound, he has no choice, right? He's got to drive through that right foot into the rubber and then you're rolling, you know, peeling that foot off the ground. And so those things are, were always causing an issue. And so when it would be flared up, he would start to train barefoot to try and give it some relief. And then you see the issues, like a lot of pitchers have it, right? You know, a lot of people have it. Their toes get all kind of scrunched up. You know, they start to get a bunion. So then it's like, well, how do we address that? All right, let's wear toe spaces. Let's actually do foot exercises, toe exercises. The more we did all of those things, the less symptoms he had to the point where it's really a non-issue. We don't really have to talk about it at all. And so for certain exercises, certain things, it makes a lot of sense for him to have a shoe. For others, it doesn't. I've also I've always been a firm believer, especially with like um, a lot of regular shoes, like a Nike Free, you know, something like that, or an Ultra Boost. It's like go ahead and kick a weight, see how that feels. Um, it's not doing as much for you as I think some people would think. And so for us, it was the lesser of two evils. Him being barefoot, he's comfortable, not dealing with this neuroma, and it was like a problem solver. That that was kind of how it started. Uh, obviously he's talk about it all the time. The thing I always tell people, I'm like, have you ever kicked, you know, the corner of your, your bed post, right? You okay. kick it with your pinky and it hurts like hell. I'm like, all right, do you only wear shoes in the bedroom now? No, you know, you just be like, I, sh I shouldn't do that again. Like I got to be very careful not to do that. You know, stuff happens all the time. It's always about mitigating risk. And so that there is a risk to being barefoot for sure. There's a risk to doing a lot of things in the weight room, but the advantages that he gets from doing it and not having to deal with that nerve issue has far outweighed the risks. Um, I wasn't there when he dropped the kettlebell. Um, I heard about it right away. I got the pictures. I was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And, of course, I'm his trainer, so I scramble. I look in the exercise in what I gave him. Like, is did I give him something where this was a foreseeable risk? And it was just an exercise that somebody on the staff wanted him to try. It was potentially uh, a poor choice. But then again, I think if you ask Joe, I think he said this, it's it's up to him to decide what is a good or a bad choice to do as far as an exercise or to do barefoot. And so, you know, he'll take 100% responsibility. He's like, he dropped a kettlebell. 
you live and you learn. There's always like weird benefits to, you know, to these things. And so I think for him, just having to, he always does well dealing with adversity. Now he does well dealing, I don't do as well, dealing with, <laughs> with talking about it, right? We were live on the news one day. And the, the guy's like, for God's sake, put a shoe on. And he's just like, no. And I asked him, I knew, I said, they're filming. Please just put a shoe on. He goes, no, he goes, we don't train in shoes. I'm not putting a shoe on. He does well with, you know, like people giving, I guess, resistance to how he is or what we do. And he's just like, yeah, screw you guys. This is what we do. So I don't even, I don't even think that he views it necessarily as been like as big of a thing as everyone does. I mean, uh-huh. our Instagram's just full of people saying, put a shoe on. And we just laugh about it, take our shoes off and walk out. <laughs> yeah. Be you. Be you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, do you have a story out there of Joe Musgrove's competitiveness? Like something that during training or something where it's like, wow, okay, this guy's just on another level. It's funny because this was one of the um, – I texted you and I said, hey, like, what, you know, what would you like to talk about? And you would text yeah. me that. And it's funny because that's what – you know, in the athletic article, I get asked that question a lot, probably more than – well, the, the toe thing, the shoe thing, right, uh-huh. number one. And then I get asked that. And I'm around athletes all day, every day. And so it sometimes just seems a bit surprising to me, like, would you not think that, you know, he's extra competitive in everything? Right. And so we were actually talking about it at the beach yesterday. I mentioned that. I brought it up to the guys. And they said, oh, yeah, we always get that, that question a lot. And he is ultra, ultra, you know, competitive. Honestly, as most of – our pro athletes are but the difference is he has the physical tools to be good at everything that he chooses to you know so we have guys uh you mentioned tim right for example mm-hmm. you know tim's a very competitive guy but he's not going to stretch himself out of his comfort zone so much. Right. So like say when we're playing ultimate Frisbee, he'll happily be like, yeah, I'm just not that good with the Frisbee. I'm going to go home. I'll see you guys later. Um, which is how I would be too. I don't like doing things I'm not good at. Joe is good at everything. And so, I mean, literally everything that I've ever done with him, he pretty much walks my ass out. I think I've beat him in darts like once or twice, but it can be anything um luckily i'm ahead of him on surfing he's probably going to catch me and beat me at that at some point as well but he just happens to have the tools to be able to take that competitive drive and just beat your ass and so everyone in here is competitive but there are a few guys where they're just that good and so i think that that keeps you know stacking it up and piling it up we were talking about we all have friends who are ultra competitive but not necessarily the most athletic people. And so they're competitive because they're pissed off that they lose all the time. Uh-huh. Joe's competitive and ha- and knows full well that he could probably beat you in almost anything. And so he's down all the time for anything. And so, I mean, every day, it doesn't matter what we're doing. I mean, you guys have obviously read or seen, it could be holding your breath. Uh, it could be hacky sack. It could be anything. He just approaches it in a way where he's like, I'm going to try my best to kick your ass. Uh, and usually he does. So, yeah, it's like there's no one particular. It's all the time, nonstop. Um, yeah, he's just really freaking athletic, and he's a big body, and he likes to try incredibly hard. But then he'll turn around and teach you what makes him good or what he thinks makes him good at that. So it's not like, a, you know, like, oh, I'm going to beat you and I'm going to keep it a secret. 
he's coaching in here almost as much as I am these days. You know, he's walking around telling the younger guys, giving them hints on what to do. So, yeah, competitive all the time. Uh, every sport, every non-sport, arts and crafts, doesn't matter. He'll try and kick your butt in all of it. Yeah, I didn't take it as like, oh, I'm surprised that he's competitive. I just look at, you know, going down the Padres roster, for example, or just around baseball. And I, I can just see it. I can see it in him when he's on the mound. Yeah. Um, just how competitive he is. So I was just curious. Um, last thing, obviously, symbiotic training center. Oh, yeah. Um, just please promote that. I know that that just opened this year. I know that there's some probably some Padres fans that are interested in that. So feel free to say whatever you want about that. Yeah, thank you. So we're a training center, symbiotic training center, and we specialize in training athletes, predominantly baseball and softball. But I mean, we're 90 something percent baseball players in here. So we're open to training uh, other athletes for sure. We just don't hide that that's what we we specialize in. And the whole idea here was to have pretty much everything that Joe wanted um, in one spot for us to get done everything that we wanted to get done and have a similar experience to what people, well, what they have, you know, say down at Petco. So we have a couple of PTs, we've got acupuncture, we have the hot cold tubs, we have a dietitian, sports psychologist, uh, we have a recovery room, we have the gym, we have a mound. Um, so yeah, we tried to make it as much as we can a one-stop shop. We work with athletes of all ages. So we have athletes as young as 10 all the way up through the pros from the 10 to 13 year olds, they're on like um, kind of a beginner program, but everyone from about 14 up is on an individualized program. They do exactly what Joe and the pro guys do. They do an assessment. We write them a program specific to them. And then they come between two and five times a week. Um, so their workouts are given to them through their phone. And then they come in in small groups and we train all of those athletes. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's, Going really well, thank goodness. Um, obviously, Joe's name, I think, brings in the majority of our clientele. But our job is when they get here to show them that we you know, offer a, a valuable service. We're out off of Miramar Road, so pretty central for everyone in San Diego. You can check us out online with the symbioticTrainingCenter.com. Um, reach out on Instagram. Yeah, we're, we're always taking on new athletes. Obviously, right now, actually, is the... I say right now, when the guys go for spring training, high school's in season, and then college is in season, that is actually when we have the most available time to start working with younger athletes, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, because if not, you know, the big guys are always taking up all the space. So we look forward to working with a lot of younger athletes in spring, and then come summer, that's when everyone's out, and we're open all day, every day, get really busy then. Perfect. All right. Their website is going to be in the description on the podcast platforms and on YouTube. Please go check them out. John O'Green, thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Cheers, Ben. Thank you.